The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Miracles in Recovery with Ray Lynch. If you are one of the millions of people facing addiction issues or the loved one of someone who is, we're here to help and to discuss solutions. Hope is in your corner. Now, here's your host, Ray Lynch. Good evening and welcome to another edition of the Miracles in Recovery. My name is Ray, and I am the host of the show. I have Ellen in the studio with me. She's my co-host. How are you, Ellen? I'm very well, thank you. Good evening, everyone. Have you found a house yet? Uh, no, no, but I think we may have found a rental, so oh, well, we're making that's progress. That's good. Just to, just to share real quick, um, we have an audience that's an international audience, and I... I, I Every week, I look forward to Monday because I usually get, in the afternoon, I usually get where we're played, and the majority of people that listen are in the United States, United Kingdom. We, we're starting to get a very big crowd in Ireland. Oh, really? We had, we had 167 people from Ireland listening. Wow. And also... Um, Couple from Russia, couple from Japan. It's it's crazy where people are listening to us from. You know, you, you figure, what are you doing at six o'clock in the morning? Well, but, you're Irish, right? Well, yeah, but disease knows no time. Well, this is true. You know what this I mean? Is true. And you think you think of you know sometimes you go like, well, Russia. What are they? What time is it in Russia? It's two thirty in the morning. They're up drinking their vodka, <laughs> listening to the show, <laughs> and they can't sleep. And they can't sleep. Well, maybe we're getting our message out there. I mean, I'm sure we are because the numbers are staying the same and they're growing in all of these international companies. So welcome, everyone. We're very happy you're countries. listening to us. Yes, absolutely. Keep tuning in. And and with that, um, you can, if you want, go to the website, which is www.miraclesandrecovery.org. And if you click on the microphone, you'll be able to listen to us live between 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. on Monday evenings, Eastern Time. Every Other than that, if you click on it, you will hear the Voice America um, radio network, which probably has a show that you want to listen to as well. So please, by all means, go on uh, voiceamerica.com. And there's, there's a a variety of shows. We have millions of listeners a month on the, on the channel. We right now have thousands, but collectively we have millions. So with that, I would like to bring in our guest is Dr. Brent Boyette. I'm going to read a little bit of his bio and then we will welcome him to the show. Dr. Brent Boyette was trained as a general dentist and is a board certified and is board certified in family medicine as a physician. Seems more like he's a school junkie. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's what we were Hi, saying. Dr. Boyette. How are you? School, Dr. Boyette. Thank you. <laughs> Everybody has an addiction, right? That's right. <laughs> at least at least that was a little more healthy. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you were you became you were a dentist at first, and you became board certified in addiction medicine. 
Um, how did you how did you come about that? Like going from dentistry to being an addictionologist or whatever it is that you do with addiction. Yeah, well, that's a good question. You can't make this stuff up. It's a strange pathway that I took to find my passion in addiction medicine. I actually was trained in the early 1990s as a, as a dentist and, and uh, felt led just to, to go further in my education. And, and, and uh, so I, I finished dental school and went straight into medical school, did four years of dentistry, did four years of medical school, did a family medicine residency for three years. And then I came back to a small rural area in northwest Alabama and began to practice general dentistry and primary care medicine. And what I found when I moved back to Northwest Alabama in this rural area was a huge epidemic of opioid misuse and abuse and dependency. And it was not being diagnosed and it certainly was not being treated. And I saw this both as a dentist and as a physician. I worked in emergency departments and small little uh, rural ERs. Uh, we would receive phone calls in the dental office on Friday afternoons with toothaches and things uh, that just patients were asking for pain medications and ERs. Hmm. Visits were often uh, uh, driven around pain uh, syndromes that you couldn't um, necessarily dispute, but you had this sense that there was something else going on. And so in the, in the, in the ERs, the nurses became, and then the physicians as well, kind of became calloused and jaded over the whole situation. You would see uh, healthcare providers that would kind of roll their eyes and say, she's back again, or he's back again, and we would use these terms like frequent flyers or drug seekers to describe these patients that seem to be desperate, and there's always this drama that is associated with it. And so I became fascinated with this pain, chronic pain slash dependency type phenomenon, and I began to focus my studies uh, in the area of addiction medicine, and I went back and became board certified in the field of addiction medicine. And that's what really ignited my passion, was just the need for the people in my area that needed a scientific approach to deal with uh, this juggernaut of, of a disease that was not well recognized and not well treated. How do you think the whole pain, seek, you know, the, the opioid use disorder or disease got started? You know, it sounds like, we're, are you talking um, like in the 90s or the early 2000s when you began to see this phenomenon? Yeah, that's, a, that's kind of an interesting story about how this particular epidemic got started in the late 1990s. You know, if you go back 100 years ago, we had a similar epidemic in the United States around the late 1800s and the early 1900s uh, that led to legislation that came out of Washington like the Harrison Act, also mm-hmm. even led to other types of legislation like prohibition on alcohol and so forth. The drug abuse and alcohol abuse was so bad by the turn of the last century that there was a tremendous backlash. And so we saw that actually coming out of the Civil War. There were two things that right after the post-Civil War era that were new, uh, morphine and hypodermic needles. And so soldiers came back from the Civil War with what we called soldier sickness, but it was really opioid dependency. People, huh. went, to, uh, people went to doctors in, the, in uh, um, areas throughout the United States and received medications like laudanum and, and, and those kinds yeah. of things. And very commonly, what you would see back in, the, in, in that 100 years ago and, and a little beyond was that doctors had proprietary formulas. So in other words, you could go and 
come to, to my office and receive Dr. Boyette's secret formula for melancholy mood. And it might have a tincture <laughs> of cocaine and it might have some, some uh, opioids in there. And I didn't have to disclose what that was because it was proprietary. And the only thing that you knew is when you took my medicine, you felt better. And when you didn't take it, you are sick. Really so it's kind of like it's kind of like when you see in the movies and and the and the doctor came through town with his with his uh, covered wagon and all his little spirits and stuff. I mean that was kind of like the reality, I, I, right? Like I mean they made up these little concoctions and it was Doctor Jones's feel good juice and Doctor Boyette's cuckoo sauce. People would do a uh, uh, mail order type. Um, um, uh, prescribing type habits. If you really want to read a good book that describes the history of addiction in the United States, get the book by White. The author, author's name is White, and the book is called Slaying the Dragon. And it's a very good book that, that kind of chronicles the history of substance use disorders in the United States and, the, and how this has been passed around like a, like a hot potato between uh, the, the faith community, between the medical community, between the criminal justice system, and how it's just throughout the, the history, how it's kind of occurred. It's really kind of a sad read in a lot of ways because the healthcare system has failed addiction um, uh-huh. uh, in, in a lot of ways. And so hopefully we're making up for lost time now. Well, you know, they, they, I, I, I hear your passion when you speak about it. You know, I, I have shaken your hand before. I used to work at a, uh, I was, used to work at a lab that you came in, share your wisdom about um substance abuse and, and how it affects our community and, and ultimately the nation and the world. And I always used to smile. So, and I had a, see, and I had a background, a, a personal background uh, in substance abuse. I used to like to sit in your lectures and, and have you share with the sales reps that had no clue. And I would see like a spark in their eye. Like they had, they, like, you know what I mean? Like you woke something up in them that they had no clue that they were looking down their nose at somebody just the other day because they were an addict and I think that the, the the great thing is is hearing the passion in your voice I'm grateful that you still haven't lost that yet absolutely you know um, Ellen you mentioned the the, the the concept of pain and how that plays into this I think it's important to point out that at the root of all addiction there is pain it doesn't matter whether we're talking about alcohol tobacco benzodiazepines, stimulants like cocaine and methamphetamine, and even opioids. At the end of the day, it's all pain medication. Whether we're talking about physical pain or emotional pain or the Mm -hmm. combination of physical and emotional pain, it's all the same thing. And so what people need to understand about addiction is it may start out as a motivation to pursue pleasure, but very quickly, as opioid tolerance and drug tolerance occurs, dependence sets in then it becomes quickly turning from a motivation to pursue pleasure to a motivation to avoid pain. And that's what people need to understand. That's the motivation for the continued use because here's the situation. Once the brain becomes damaged through repetitive dosing of opioids or any other pleasure-producing substance that releases dopamine into the brain, the sober for those patients is not the same sober as you and I might know about. And, and it takes a long time to recover from that. And even with the recovery, the memory reward circuitry is still there and triggers and, and cues still play a vital role. And every day is a, is a day of effort to, to maintain recovery for people. It gets easier as time goes on. And I think that people get stronger in their recovery. But well, it's not a curable disease. 
just to you know, just to jump on that, um, like I like I said, I'm a recovering addict, and I have 28 years clean. And I still say, when I say that, I always I always justify that by saying, "But today is a good day to get high." Being an addict, that is that is always an option. It may not be the option that I want to play on today. And I have, like you said, it gets easier. Um, that is still an option. And I have a rolodex of tools that I have built up along the way to be able to use before I have to pull that use card but that card is still there and if i ever forget that i'm an addict and today's a good day to use i will probably be on the wrong side of a needle again and and not know how i got there that's true and let me also point out that it's important to protect your recovery not only from street dealers but from physicians as well in other words Mm. when a person develops an opioid dependency in particular that will never be a person that can walk into the dental office and say, sure, doc, just write a few Percocets. I'll just use them if I need them. That's not <laughs> you. you. You know, that's not you, and that's a fool's errand to begin with. So I mm-hmm. recommend that, that patients who are in recovery from opioid dependency always tell their doctors, dentists, surgeons, ER physicians, whoever it may be that has the potential to write controlled substances to them, that when they ask the patient, are you allergic to anything, you should say, yes, I'm allergic to controlled substances. When I'm exposed to them, my life falls apart. And that's <laughs> in the chart. It's true. That, when that's almost right out of the big book of AA. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, can I, can I ask you a, a question? Sure. Um, what exactly is opioid dependence? Is it different from other addictions? Well, or other passive addiction, addiction. addiction. So, so the same process that makes Grandpa drink too much makes Junior lose control with with heroin or, or pain pills. But um, uh, it, evidence suggests that with opioids, there is a more severe type of an addiction because opioids release dopamine with the greatest efficiency of any of the substances that we know. So, let me just explain it to you this way. When a patient exposes their brains to the pleasure-producing substances like opioids that release amounts of dopamine, which is the natural pleasure-producing substance in our brain that gives us a reward for things that are supposed to be good for our survival. So it's pleasurable for me to eat when I'm hungry, and that releases a little dopamine, and that gives me satisfaction. It's pleasurable for me to drink when I'm thirsty, but that reestablishes my fluid and electrolyte balance, and it's good for me, and that releases a little dopamine. And it compels me to remember the next time I'm thirsty, get a drink of water. And that works for my survival very, very well. However, humans have figured out ways to trick their brains into believing their circumstances are better than they are. Alcohol will do it. Tobacco will do it. Benzodiazepines will do it. Stimulants like cocaine will do it. But nothing does it with the efficiency of opioids. And so when opioids, when the brain's exposed to opioids over a period of time, the brain will try to reset itself to allow that person to be sober and conscious and aware of the dangers in their environment, even though they're tricking their brains into thinking things are okay. So the brain will set, reset its hedonic tone in a way that reestablishes a balance of pain and pleasure. And we think about pain and pleasure as being two separate things, but really and truly, it's shades of gray between the two. So when a person has exposed their brains to opioids over a long period of time, and then they try to stop, they don't go back to the middle with a normal balance of pain and pleasure. When they run out of opium, 
of whatever that variety may be, heroin, oxycodone, hydrocodone, their world becomes a very painful, dark place, both physically and emotionally. Everything hurts. And so that's why they become chronically dysphoric, and that's the reason that that patients have this drug-seeking behavior. Cravings uh, obsess their minds, and so while they can swim upstream and just say no to drugs for a period of time, it is always swimming against the current. And over time, uh, statistics show that even after detox, even with the best um, psychotherapies available, there is a 10% um, a recovery rate one year out after de- uh, detoxification. That means 90% of patients who undergo successful detox will relapse in one year. And that's not a very good statistic. No, that's a very scary statistic, especially now when you see how many people are, are dying of this disease. Absolutely. We are coming up on a break right now. We, and, um, I, I, you know, the, the, the thing is, is that you say, uh, you know, the very small percentage make it um, within that first year. You know, I'm a, I'm a product of that. I, I, it took me five years to get a year. And it wasn't because I wasn't trying. I think I just couldn't get out of my own way. I didn't, I didn't um, saturate myself enough to a point where my body and mind said, enough is enough. And, you know, I'm grateful today that I have that awareness and that I can get out of my own way. So I just want to let everybody know, phone lines are open. Call in and share your experience, strength, and hope. If you have any questions for Dr. Boyette, please, by all means, give us a call at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Let your voice be heard. Make a difference. We'll be back in a moment. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. When a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, it's probably the most frightening thing that's ever happened to her. Friends and family often don't know what to do for support, not to mention the patient herself. That's where Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio comes in. Join Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin, breast cancer survivors and advocates. They help by providing inspiration, information, and most of all, hope. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with hosts Nancy Kerala and Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and the founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. And Dr. Ghosh is the chairperson of research and development for the C. diff Foundation. Together with their guests, we'll explore infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Miracles in Recovery. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. We have Dr. Boyette on the phone with us. He is our guest for the week. And I just want to say everything you've ever dreamed of is on the other side of the fear you feel. Call in. We can help. This gentleman on the line can help. He's helped thousands of people. You know, he he has a very good message about recovery, a very good message about addiction, how it affects us in, in our lives, in our community, and in our world. You know, and a lot of people, the famous last quote, the famous last word of an addict is it'll never happen to me and I'm not hurting anyone but myself. Um, stop and look around and, and look where you are. You know, you knock on the devil's door too many times and sooner or later, guess what? He's going to answer and you won't be around to be able to hear a message of hope. So if you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling confused, please, by all means, call 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, we were talking about opioid dependence uh, before we went to break. What, what can be done for patients with opioid dependence? Like, how do, you, how do you treat an individual that comes into your practice and says, help? Yeah. Well, let me, and, and I want to address that. Let me, let me just further say uh, a couple of other things about what is opioid dependence, and that, and that will kind of bring me into to what can be done. Mm-hmm. What we see a lot of times in the United States right now, Ray, is that patients are caught up into this uh, uh, area called chronic pain management. And what they noticed is that they hurt when they don't have their medication. These are generally prescription medications. And, and, but what they don't really realize is this. Opioids relieve pain in the short term, but they create pain in the long term. It's been demonstrated in animal model studies that that when brains are exposed to the opioids repetitively, a process called opioid-induced hyperalgesia occurs. That means a hypersensitivity to pain. And so patients kind of notice that as drug tolerance. And the doses of the medications that are required to keep them comfortable go up and up and up and up. Before you know it, it's unsustainable. And, and as a result of opioid-induced hyperalgesia, the patients hurt all the time. Not only do they hurt physically, but they also hurt emotionally. There's another syndrome called anhedonia. Anhedonia is basically means pleasure deafness. Patients lose the ability to experience normal life's pleasures when their brains become damaged. It has to do with this whole hedonic tone resetting phenomenon that I was describing before the break. And so 
what happens is patients are caught in this situation where they're miserable all the time and nothing seems to help and they develop relationship damage with other people and dysfunctional situations and, and it becomes unsustainable and pain medications uh, won't do it anymore so people turn to the street to keep their sick away and as a result that's the reason our um, heroin epidemic is, has begun to soar. So what mm-hmm. can be done about it? Well here's the thing. Um, there a modern addiction medicine has several therapies that are available and lots of different approaches. And multiple disciplinary approach is the, is the process that works best. So while 12-step facilitation is important and cognitive behavioral therapy is important and group support is important, also in many cases medical assisted therapy is important. And it's not an either or, by the way. These things need to be used in conjunction. Let's just say that we're not talking about addiction as the disease. We're talking about diabetes. No doctor is ever going to say to you, uh, I'm going to give you insulin for your diabetes. Eat anything you want to and don't worry about exercising. You've got insulin. No, you take the medicine plus you change your lifestyle. And that's the same thing that, that, that experts in the field of addiction medicine know that it is a lifestyle change. You have to change your playground and change your playmates. You have to remove yourself from your triggers. You have to do healthy things in your life. If, if abstinence works for you, by all means, abstinence is the best approach. But here's the thing. Statistics show that if abstinence only is the only thing that we have to present, then 90% of patients are going to relapse and continue through the revolving doors of rehab therapy and so forth. But so as an option or as an adjunct to the tried and true methods of group support, 12-step facilitation, those kinds of things, medical-assisted therapy, uh, is often needed. Now, there are three FDA-approved medications that, that assist in opioid dependency. Number one is methadone. It's the oldest. It's been around for 40 years in the United States, and it still has its place. Methadone is a full agonist opioid, and it has saved many lives over the years. There is a newer component to, this, uh, to treatment. The second treatment is Buprenorphine. Buprenorphine, you may know in the trade name Suboxone. It also comes in Subzolve and Bunivale, and the monotherapy is called Subutex. Buprenorphine is a partial agonist, so it has some properties similar to methadone, but it has other properties that make it better for outpatient opioid dependency. It has a ceiling effect, so it's not dose-dependent. You just you can't keep on getting higher and higher with the medication. It can, but it takes much, much more dose. So the point is, what now? Let, let me let me cut you let me cut you off in middle thought yeah. there for just for a second and ask you a question. What happens to the individual that chooses to get high during during that? Now they will still overdose even though they don't feel the effect. Their body will still feel. I mean, will still overdose. Correct? Because yeah, isn't so it- with regards to buprenorphine? Buprenorphine is a partial agonist, so it has um, blockade effects. In other words. Um, it will outcompete heroin, hydrocodone, oxycodone. It will outcompete those medications for the receptor site occupancy. So, in other words, if you let's just say you take uh, Suboxone uh, one day, and then that night somebody brings in some heroin or some oxycodone. It makes it more difficult for you to get high. Not impossible, mind you. There's still everything is dose dependent, but it makes it more difficult for you to receive a reward once the once the brain's receptors are occupied with buprenorphine, and so it has a blockade effect that that reduces uh, the amount of pleasure that one can get from street drugs. Plus, the underlying and maybe the biggest 
benefit that we get from buprenorphine is it treats the cravings. So it, it eliminates the urge to use. Uh, and so it, it reduces that. So that coupled with the lifestyle modification turns out to be a very effective method of recovery. Well, there are, there are people who say if you are taking Suboxone and you take too much of, uh, you know, a high dose of heroin, you won't overdose and die. There is that rumor out there. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. You know. No, you can, you can, you can, you, it's all dose dependent. So it's competition based on plasma concentrations. So you can kill yourself with, despite okay. being, uh, having Suboxone on board, you can kill yourself with an overdose of Suboxone for that matter, even in an opioid tolerant patient. Right. But it makes it more difficult and makes the doses uh, different. That's, that's the big thing. And so, uh, you know, you don't need to try it. You don't need to test it. But the point no. is that, and the most important thing is that it, that it, um, it blocks the urge. So it blocks that craving, that desire, that, that compulsion that draws you to using it. Now, triggers and, and, and things exposing yourself to still play a major factor. I always tell patients, listen, it's much wiser to avoid a temptation than it is to try to resist a temptation. So don't put yourself in a position to have to say no. Don't be around mm-hmm. the people and don't be around the drugs. There's nothing more contagious than the disease of addiction. If you're around Wait, it, you will catch it. No, that's very true, Doc. I mean, I I remember coming out of detox and walking back to the same corner um, thinking that I was okay and clean, putting myself right back into that trigger. And it wasn't until I vacated that spot could I get out of my own way and realize that I was doing myself a disservice by walking back onto the same corner with the people that were using. One of the observations that I have personally seen, you know, because I have a family member who was using medication-assisted therapy, and it does seem to work as far as cravings, but also with the the post-acute withdrawal syndrome, the pause, and the depression, you know, the long-term underlying depression that seems to accompany, you know, getting out of out of you know active addict mode and and trying to live a normal life. That's interesting you bring that up, Ellen, because actually buprenorphine does two things. It weakly activates the me receptor, which gives the dopamine release that gives a little increase in the amount of dopamine or pleasure release. So it treats the chronic dysphoria of addiction. But another thing that a lot of people don't know that it does is it blocks a little receptor in the brain called the kappa receptor. It blocks kappa and agonizes or activates the mu receptor. The kappa blockade, researchers believe, may have a strong effect as an antidepressant. As a matter of fact, pharmaceutical companies are looking right now at drugs that specifically block the kappa, uh, the kappa receptor for severe intractable depression. And, and there's a lot of, of hope and, 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 and optimism that that might be a treatment for depression. Well, is, those of us who use buprenorphine know that it has strong antidepressant effects. And it goes back to that thing I was originally saying. It treats both the physical and the emotional pain of addiction. Yeah, I, I, I have totally noticed in my family member. But you said there is a third drug. What would that be? The third drug is Vivitrol um, and, or Naloxone or Naltrexone. Naltrexone is a uh, complete blocker of the me receptor. And so uh, uh, Vivitrol is a once a month injection that patients come to the doctor and basically it's like putting a padlock on their, on their opioid receptor. 
it blocks the effects of opioids. It also is, has a uh, FDA indication for alcohol abuse as well because it blocks some of the reward of alcohol uh, uh, abuse. The way it works is it blocks that receptor so patients can use, but they won't get any reward for it. And so uh, once you use a few times, you don't get a reward, the urge diminishes. Uh, and, and so uh, it's a blockade. The problem with, with this kind of therapy is it does not treat the underlying chronic dysphoria that, that patients with opioid use disorder develop. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it doesn't get to that underlying physical and emotional pain that addicts have. But it has, it has been successful in many roles. And, and uh, you know, we're seeing the court system utilize uh, this. In, it's basically a chemically enforced abstinence is what it is. Well, and I, I have, um, I'm, I'm in a lot of um, mothers of addicts groups, and I, I have noticed that there are, there's a huge uptick in the number of moms whose, you know, whose adult children are going on to the Vivitrol shot, as they say, and a lot of them are really, really, really thinking that this is, you know, this is the, the cure. Um, we tried that and had a very bad experience with it. So I think, it, I guess the bottom line is it just depends on the person. But a lot of times you don't you don't have the time, you know. You kind of have to strike when the iron is hot with someone with substance use disorder, and you may not have the time to try to figure out which one is going to be the best for them. True. Yeah. Well, this is what I think uh, personally that works best. I think that patients, not family members, not judges, not uh, not um, uh, bosses, and 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 other uh, people that coerce people and uh, patients into treatment. But I think that patients should be informed of their options and be allowed to choose or at least try the therapy that they feel would work best for them, as long as the, the addiction specialist is in agreement with that. And there are you know, certain reasons. But here's the thing. It's not a one-size-fits-all. For some patients, Vivitrol will be the best therapy. For some patients, methadone will be the best therapy. For some patients, buprenorphine will be the best therapy. And for some patients, abstinence only is the best therapy. And you basically have to work through that to decide what's the best one, what's the best fit for you. Now, do you give them that option when they come to you? Is that, is that like a conversation that you have? Yes, I think it's an important conversation to have uh, with every patient, that they know what their options are. Many of the patients have tried other options, and so they're there. They Listen, I've been down the, mm-hmm. the abstinence-only uh, situation a few times. It hasn't worked for me. Um, I've been, you know, I've tried some other things. Or maybe right. patients are just reluctant to, listen, I know I can't take abstinence-only. And so, you know, I think that the patient's decision plays an important role in, in what is done. Now, let me ask you a question, though, Doc. You have, you because like you said about methadone, I mean, I've, I've had my, um, my share of methadone early on in recovery uh, when I was trying to, you know, get one day clean. And I have friends that, like I said, I've been clean for 28 years. I have friends that are still on a maintenance program 28, 30 years later. Yours is more of a temporary. Yours isn't like a long-term, let's just put you on this and let you go by the wayside and, you know, be a kind of productive member of society, right? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that mine is just a temporary situation. I wouldn't characterize it that way. Um, the truth of the matter is this. Addiction, opioid use disorder, and all addictions for that matter, are chronic diseases. 
So uh, Suboxone, Zubzob, Benavel, Buprenorphine will no more cure your addiction than insulin cures diabetes or high mm-hmm. blood pressure medicine cures hypertension. It is a management tool only. And it gives people the opportunity to change their life, to, to develop coping skills, to develop other types of uh, interventions through group support, education. Listen, learning and understanding your own brain and your own behavior is an important healing tool itself. So True. it allows that. But I will tell you this. Some patients will go on buprenorphine for a period of time, taper off, and stay in re- abstinence recovery long term. Other patients will go on buprenorphine, taper off, stay in recovery for a period of time, what long period or short period, and then have to go back on it. And then other patients may have to be on it long term. That is to say, they take it every day for the rest of their lives. Think about this. Worst case scenario, if you put a film under your tongue or against your cheek once a day, every day for the rest of your life, and you go to the nursing home taking this stuff, And at the end of your life, you look back and you were a good mother. You held down a job. You paid your taxes. You stayed out of trouble with the law. You were a respectable person who took care of their own responsibilities in life. And you just took a medicine every day. It's a small price to pay. That's very true. That's that's very, very true. That's very true. The issue here is recovery. And, 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 And what we're really dealing with here is life repair. And that's the goal. And however right. we can and, repair the life, that, that's the way we should do it. You know, and sadly, um, some or, or the majority of 12-step, uh, quote-unquote, um, programs or gurus are, are you know, they, they, they get on that word abstinence, and that's the only thing that they see. They don't see like – I've seen people speaking about you know, being being in recovery and getting a one-year medallion, but they're on methadone. Hey, you know something? More power to you. Your life is becoming uh, greater than it was when you were, you know, out there struggling on heroin. I, it's that You know, to thine own self be true. It's not my opinion of what it is that you're doing with your life. And there if, are and if, a like lot you said, of people in the room right, who will but, say you are not clean. But shame on those people. I agree. Because like what the doctor just said, if all you have to do is stick a little pill underneath your tongue and you go to the nursing home and you look back and you were a good mother and a good father and a productive member of society and you did everything you had to do just because you were putting a little pill under your tongue, God love you. We will be back in a moment. I like, I, that's a great line to stop on because um, it's not about using, it's about recovery. And if a little piece of paper, a little pill gets you to that point, then we'll be back in a moment. what you need to do. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. If you're busy, stressed, and can't ever seem to find the time to add in those new healthy habits, you need to check out Lisa Lutan's Busy, Stressed, and Food-Obsessed show. This program will help you discover easy ways to improve your health and happiness. Plus, you will pick up all sorts of tips on better eating, fitness, relationships, how to manage stress, and a lot more. You'll feel yourself becoming healthier just by tuning in. Listen live every Thursday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. 
Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuzo to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you find yourself caring for people in multiple generations? Are you exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed? Instead of spending hours searching for resources and information, Dr. Merrill and her guests will provide you with practical, everyday information and solutions to help make your life easier. Tune into Caught Between Generations, Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. your health where you think it should be if you're like most people the answer is probably not where can you get the answers you need to get on the right track the answers start on occupy health each week host dr susan downs and her guest experts will answer your questions as well as prepare you for questions you'll want to ask your health provider you'll want to plan for your optimal health with occupy health listen fridays at 11 a.m pacific time 2 p.m eastern time on voice america health and wellness Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Miracles in Recovery. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. Like I said before, on the line, we have Dr. Boyette, and he's sharing um, his knowledge about addiction and, and recovery. And and what, before we went to break, I was kind of blown away by what you said, Doc, about um, you know a mother that puts a little something underneath her tongue and she goes to the nursing home and she looks back and she was a productive member of society. She was a good mother. She was a good grandmother and her life turned out absolutely fantastic. And she had to take this little pill for X amount of years. There's plenty of people out there that probably put a gate on on the need for use actually i don't have a use for somebody like that because they're they're throwing their um Prejudice, thought process really. uh, prejudices on, onto onto me and, and my and my process of trying to make my life better go into a little bit about um how you help the people that are coming to you for assistance with making it okay that they're taking a pill or they're, or they're taking they're taking something other than the substance that they came in that was ruining their life. Yeah, so, you know, I think it's important just to back up and take a, a, a broader view of the chronic disease model itself. For instance, why do we care about diabetes? Why do we care if a person's blood sugar is high? Why do we care if a, a person's blood pressure is high? Here's why. It's because we know that uncontrolled diabetes leads to bad outcomes. It leads to strokes, heart attacks, amputations, going blind, going on dialysis, hypertension, uncontrolled leads to strokes, heart attacks, and so forth. So 
years ago, we began to realize that, hey, while we may not be able to con- to, to cure hypertension or diabetes, we can at least prevent the bad outcomes that result from these, these things by controlling the disease. So researchers back in the 1960s looked at the, at the chemical dependence the same way and said, maybe if we can't find a cure, we can at least manage this and control it so people can live normal, healthy, happy lives. And so that's when we begin to, to study hedonic tone and the chronic dysphoria, opioid-induced hyperalgesia, all of these kinds of uh, situations. So having said that, no diabetic doctor in their right mind tells a patient, I'm giving you six months to lose 40 pounds and start exercising and eating right, and if you don't do it, I'm cutting your insulin off. And if you go on dialysis or you have your feet amputated, it's your own fault. That would be malpractice. We know that we coach patients and say, you should lose weight, you should exercise, you should change your lifestyle, but in the meantime, here is some metformin to take or glucophage to take or or some insulin to take because at the end of the day, what we're really trying to prevent is the bad outcomes. The bad outcomes in the disease of addiction are things like destroyed relationships, Mm -hmm. overdose deaths, loss of functionality, all of these kinds of things. So if we can prevent the bad outcomes, what difference does it make? If a person Absolutely lives a normal, not. healthy life, what difference does it make how we achieve that? Now, abstinence is best, uh, and, and, and uh, lifestyle modification is best in, in diabetes and hypertension. If I could get all my patients to lose weight and exercise and do exactly what I say, that would be the best case scenario. I'm not <laughs> in the business of, of doing that, but, but some, it's easier for some than others. And God bless some people, they may do everything that I tell them to do. They lose weight, they exercise, they cut out drinking sodas, and they still have to take it insulin because there's genetic factors involved that we have no control over. And we know from animal model studies that there are strong genetic patterns involved in substance use disorders. So I guess what you're saying is there is no cure. There is absolutely no cure. And it is not a one-size-fits-all approach to how we treat it. It has to be individualized. And generally speaking, it's a multidisciplinary approach that involves group support, counseling, therapies of various kinds, and in many, many cases, medication. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, ab- absolutely not. And it's, it's great to hear your message about it's okay to, um, if, you don't, if you don't make it with abstinence, it's okay that you're, you're on the road to projecting yourself to a better life with whatever whatever means necessary because i know any substance that i took was was a destructive substance or i used it destructively if you if somebody comes into your um addiction environment and they are using the the substances destructively i'm sure you're not going to be one that embraces that and says it's okay johnny you can just keep doing it that way um so I guess, like you said, there are all different approaches for different people, and to have an open mind and to have the the commonality that you have about that it's okay that one does it one way and another does it another, um, only makes it better for the people that come to visit you. Absolutely. I agree. Listen, we all in the recovery community need to work together. Imagine that we're not talking about addiction, but we're talking about musculoskeletal disorders. And imagine a world in which orthopedic surgeons say, never go see a physical therapist because they're, they're, what they offer doesn't work. 
or never see a rheumatologist because medication has no role in musculoskeletal disorders. Right. No. The, the truth is orthopedic surgeons, physical therapists, rheumatologists all work together collaboratively, refer to each other, and utilize each other's resources. And that's the way it is in modern addiction medicine. Everyone works together. How can someone reach out to you, Doc, if they wanted to engage you in, in assistance? Well, right here's the sad reality. In the United States of America, our healthcare system has neglected behavioral disorders for a long period of time, and that there are certain things that are occurring right now to change that, but this, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Statistics show that only about 10% of people who need treatment for substance use disorders, including opioid use disorders, have access to that care. That may be due to geography, it may be due to economics, but, there, but statistically speaking, several estimates say that only about 10% of people that need care have access to care. Mm-hmm. We, we've started a company called Pathway Healthcare uh, that is designed for, uh, to, to uh, meet the need for outpatient addiction medicine therapy. And it's not just opioid use disorders. We uh, uh, work and treat uh, opioid use, uh, I'm sorry, alcohol use disorders, uh, benzodiazepine abuse, and other substance use disorders as well. So it's a full-service outpatient therapy of addictive disorders. And it's called Pathway Healthcare. Our um, uh, website is uh, pathwayhealthcare.com. And we're in the process of opening uh, clinics and working uh, in different communities. And so that's what we're trying to do. And we're trying, one of our missions is to uh, meet the unmet need and increase access to care for quality addiction medicine in the United States. And uh, do you have you have a clinic open now? Correct. We do. We have uh, actually um, three clinics open now, and we have uh, several coming open in the next few months. So we have a clinic in um, Madison. We have two clinics in Alabama. We have a clinic in uh, Tennessee, and uh, a clinic in Dallas, Texas, and uh, soon to have uh, a couple in Mississippi and and uh, one in Columbus, Ohio. When someone is looking for a provider to assist them in, in this, this type of, I guess, medicine, really, um, what would you recommend that they look for? And the reason that I'm asking this is, in my experience, um, a lot of times you will go to a provider and, you know, it's, it's a gynecologist or it's a plastic surgeon and their offices look like the old pill mills of the prior decade. Um, you know, a lot of people seem to be cashing in on it. You know, they're cash only. They won't file insurance. Right. Um, yeah. What What no, should somebody I, I, be looking for? Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you're saying. So, you know, um, and, and I wish I could say that this there was good access to this kind of care. But uh, one good uh, thing to look for is board certification. Uh, the, addiction medicine is a uh, medical specialty that is currently fully recognized by the American Board of uh, Medical Specialties. Uh, and that just happened in the past year, back in 2016. It became fully recognized, just like cardiology and endocrinology and so forth. Having said that, it's a medical specialty still in its infancy in a lot of ways. The truth of the matter is the tools that we have, the therapies that we have, have outpaced the delivery system that, to deliver them. We have wonderful therapies available for, for addiction medicine and recovery, and it, they can be very, very valuable in the right hands. Um, 
addiction medicine is a growing specialty, but it's still uh, access to, to board-certified addiction medicine specialists is still difficult. So I would look at the program, see if it's evidence-based, and I believe that the program needs to be highly policy-driven. It needs to be algorithmic in its approach, and, and it needs to be evidence-based in its approach. So um, I, 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 the structure and the way the care is delivered is as important as the therapy itself. And by structure, what I mean is that it needs to be laid out proactively so that that uh, that the doctor and patient agree upon what actions will be taken for certain um, uh, situations, for whatever situations come along. So it's discussed in advance, and we know what happens uh, for relapse as a result of relapse, or we know what happens as a result of lost medication or, or other unforeseeable type things that come up. So all that needs to be set up in policy, and the patients need to be informed at it on the, on the front end, and it needs to be worked that way. Um, the American Society of Addiction Medicine is another great resource uh, that you can go and find providers uh, in, in certain areas. And um, that would be, I believe the website is asam.org. Um, and so that may also be a good, a good way to, to find providers. Doc, we need you in Florida. Yes, we do. <laughs> we, need, <laughs> we, do. we need your wisdom down here in Florida. I think you've been. I think you've been. You, you were talking about North Florida. Come on down here. Right. Head south. Head to paradise. Will you? Well, we would love to. We would love to get down there. And so, I mean, part of the thing is, uh, is as you know, we have to have physicians, and so yes. well-trained physicians are are a rare commodity, and. Um, so, you know, what we, we do have a training program, but we really like to have um, uh, board-certified doctors as our medical directors in our, pro- in our programs. Well, I mean, that's, that's the only way to go. I mean, if you're, if you're you know, a high-line uh, addiction service, then, then you, can't, you can't be one of the fly-by-nights that are just handing the pills out the back door or taking cash and, you know, just all the things that do happen more than not. And I think ultimately, if, if you start making a mark with Pathmark, then people will stop following your lead and, you know, you're, you're at the head of the curve. Yeah, instead of it being, you know, a semi-sleazy type of industrial complex I, I you know i think you're, you and people who are working like you are, are elevating this to where it needs to be because there are a lot of people who, who can be saved and Absolutely. i've seen it firsthand and our model is set up so that patients will, will have all levels of care so for instance there'll be uh, medical assisted therapy There'll be individual counseling. There'll be group counseling. They'll have access to um, uh, uh, intensive outpatient programs, also have access to residential communities and even inpatient programs. So we will have a way of referral if we don't provide those things ourselves. We'll have a a means of referral for every level of care. And I mentioned that it's not a one-size-fits-all and that some patients will be better served by methadone and some patients will be better served by abstinence. Mm -hmm. And, And so... There needs to be there need to be ways by which we can make those referrals in those areas, and so that's the reason when we come into an area that we make sure that we have the wraparound support that we need to take care of the full spectrum of addictive disorder uh, our levels of patients with addictive disorders, and so that's the reason why it's a slow building process. You have to have all of that infrastructure and the wraparound services available before you set up shop. Well, sadly, Doc, we've come to a close and we haven't even scratched the surface. You know, an hour on, an hour on nights like this really doesn't do us justice. We're going to have to ultimately have you come on and share a little bit more of your wisdom and, and um, 
and hope and faith. Yeah, but let us know how you're back doing. Back to the too. top of the show. Where do you find time to do your dental work? <laughs> well, that's you know, uh, um, uh, the truth is, Ray, that over the past uh, two to three years, I have phased out of dentistry, and uh, and I've been doing addiction medicine for about ten years now, and it has uh, over time become an increasingly uh, focus of my attention, and my passion has grown with regards to this because I've just seen how this can change lives and help people uh, regain their function, their relationships with others, their ability to contribute. And, and, and that has fueled my passion. So here's the thing regarding my dentistry. While I am a dentist and will always be a dentist, I am no longer licensed to practice dentistry. I let my license oh. lapse so that I can focus um, uh, specifically on addiction medicine. And that's where um, that's where my passion is, and that's where my focus is now. Awesome. Well, that's about all the time we have this week, Doc. I, I'm great, to- totally grateful that you came on to share your wisdom with addiction, and um, I'm sure Ellen would like to say goodnight to you. But I think we have about 30 seconds left, so. Well, we definitely do appreciate your coming on and, and sharing sharing your wisdom and sharing your your. Um, Forward thinking, because yes. we really have a, we really have a problem in our country, and I think you and people like you are going to save us. Absolutely, well, I appreciate Doc. the opportunity to get this word out. So I think it's an important message, and we I appreciate all that your show is doing as well. And uh, get Andrew down here and start farming some doctors for us. <laughs> we'll do that for sure. <laughs> okay, Doc. <laughs> Thank you. Tell him I said hi. Have a good night. Thank you. Good night. Good talking to you. Good night. Same here. And of course, with miracles in recovery. Hope Hope is is in in your your corner. corner. Have a good night. Thank you for joining us this week for Miracles in Recovery. Be sure to listen again for another edition with your host, Ray Lynch, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel next Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a great week. Hope is in your corner.